0: Let me start with a little bit of a loaded question tonight, and for any Bible lovers and those that have been around it or studied it for any length of time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where we would often turn and we would often look to address the subject of spiritual gifts, or we might say the gifts of the Spirit. And the question that I would like to ask is, how many gifts of the Spirit are there? Anybody want to just throw out a number? Did I already set you up already? You know it's a loaded question. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how many would know that Paul identifies nine gifts of the Spirit toward the beginning portion of that chapter? Are you familiar with the nine gifts of the Spirit? Now, my question is are there only these nine? And for those that don't know, here's the passage 1 Corinthians 12 and 8, 12, verse 8 through 10. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And people have taken this passage, and it's a wonderful passage, and these are powerful gifts, and they've broken it down tried to simplify it to make it more understandable and so they've broken it down into three categories and this is great there are the knowing gifts the word of wisdom knowledge and the discerning of spirits there are the speaking gifts which are prophecy diverse kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues and then there are the power gifts which are the gifts of faith the gifts of healing and the working of miracles Now, I would just like to take a few moments tonight at the beginning of Bible study and just, I guess, do a a broad survey, a bird's eye view of this passage and spiritual gifts in general. And as we think about spiritual giftings at work in the church, here are a few governing and guiding principles. Number one, I would say that there is diversity of spiritual gifts. Everyone say diversity. There is diversity of spiritual gifts, meaning that not everyone will have the same gifting or ability in the body of Christ. And Paul addresses this. You look at verses 4 through 6, and he says, Now there are, and notice these three statements, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Does everyone say diversity? Diversity. There's diversities of gifts in the body of Christ. In fact, in, in this same chapter, at verse 12, Paul gives us the analogy of the human body to show us that not everyone will function in the same way. 1 Corinthians twelve fourteen, New Living Now, he says, yes, the body has many different parts and not just one part. We're all different in this thing, amen? That's the way that it is supposed to be. And the foot shouldn't wish it were a hand. And the ear shouldn't wish that it were an eye. Because if everyone was an eye, Paul said, how would we hear? And if everybody was an ear, how would we smell? And so he goes on, verses 18 through 19. But our bodies, our physical bodies, they have many parts. But God has put each part just where he wants it. There is divine design in the human body and likewise Christ's body he said how strange a body would be if it only had one part just a giant nose walking around or a giant eyeball or just a foot you know that 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 wouldn't be cool there's diversity in the body and Paul he actually takes it one step further and he said that not only should we not envy other parts of the body I wish I were like them but we shouldn't look down on other parts of the body we shouldn't look down our nose you know pardon the pun the body part pun but he said don't look down on other parts he said the eye can never say to the hand i don't need you and the head can't say to the feet i don't need you we all bring something unique to the table don't we and that's just the way god intended it we are diverse in gifting second thing that i would say about the gifts of the spirit Point number two is that there is one source for all spiritual gifts. Everyone say one source. There is one source. God and his spirit is that source. Same passage we read a moment ago, but just notice a different emphasis. Verses four through six of chapter 12. Paul said, yes, there's diversities, but it's the same spirit. Everyone say the same spirit. And yes, there's differences of administrations, but it's the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God. Everyone say it's the Spirit of God. These abilities are given to us by God's Spirit. And yes, we can develop them. Yes, we can practice them. Yes, we can and we ought to grow in them. But we must never forget that it's not us. These giftings are just that, they are gifts. Gifts are something that come from an outside source and they are bestowed upon you and that source is God, it's his spirit, it's the Holy Ghost at work among us. It's not by power, it's it's not by our might, but it is by God's spirit. And the third and final point, there are others perhaps we could look at, but I would say that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to help others. Everyone say others. Verse 7, Paul said, but the manifestation of the Spirit, it is given to every man to profit with all. And we don't catch the King James, sometimes it eludes us a bit, but the New Living, it says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. So when God gifts me or when God gifts you, it's not about me and it's not about you. God does not gift us and allow us to operate in supernatural power so that we can get the credit, so that we can make a name for ourselves or or so that we can have some sort of following. It's not about us at all. Look at your neighbor, say it's not about you. That's not why God gifts us in these ways. The purpose of spiritual gifts or or supernatural empowerment is always to be of benefit to somebody else. And so I will come back to my original question. How many gifts of the Spirit are there? Here we read of nine gifts of the Spirit, but are these the only giftings in the body of Christ? And I think that's an important question because if we're honest today... Many of us would look at this list and we would not identify with any of the nine aforementioned gifts. You know, maybe once in a while you feel like you've kind of dipped your toe in the water or something, I don't know. But, but by and large, I think there's a lot of people that would read a list like this and they would think, well, I guess I'm not gifted. Maybe we've not functioned in any of the nine in particular that Paul mentions, And as a result, we conclude that we're not spiritual enough or we're not gifted enough. And if we treat the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 as an exhaustive list, that is the end result. I think it results in discouraged saints of God feeling like they don't have a place in the body. If it actually is these nine gifts and no others, then the result, in my opinion, is a giftless majority watching a gifted minority. We cheer them on, we follow their ministries, we go to conferences where they may be preaching, and we think, by virtue, that we are spiritual nobodies with nothing to contribute or nothing of substance, and nothing could be further from the truth. Because this is not, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the only place where spiritual gifts are talked about in the New Testament. That's 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to come back there if you have your Bible and it's open. Um, if it's not, you could now. It's a great idea. We're, we're coming back. But, but, but you turn to Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, here is another passage where Paul gives us what seems to be yet another list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6 through 9, New Living. In his grace, God has given us different gifts. Sounds familiar. For doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so here, Romans 12 is a list of seven more gifts that are given to us by God. So I don't know, we're up somewhere in the mid teens, there's a little bit of overlap, right? So is it not 9? Is it is it these two lists combined or is there more? Well, there is more. <laughs> many have rightfully pointed out that the five-fold ministry mentioned in ephesians chapter 4 these are offices yes but in many ways they are gifts and abilities that are given to individuals by god and it's all to benefit the church as a whole he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers it's all for the perfecting of the saints so that the saints can do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ might be edified. You see, the gifts that are at work in the body are for the benefit of other people. It's for the benefit of the conglomerate. And all of these writings that I've mentioned so far are from Paul. But Peter gets in on the action, and, and he talks about spiritual gifts also, First Peter 4: 10 through 11. We've had 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Now we've had Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. I mean, we're going somewhere tonight. Verse 10, God has given each of you a gift. Everyone say a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. I hope I'm painting the picture. And and I hope that that word kind of encapsulates it. There's variety here. It's it's not just a, a small exhaustive list. There's variety of spiritual gifts, Peter said. He said, use them well to serve one another. Not for you, it's for somebody else. And then he says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Now, I'm really sorry tonight if I have bursted your theological bubble. I'm sorry if, if you have like a lesson on the nine gifts of the spirit and and you've neglected all of these other ones somewhere in your back pocket to teach in Sunday school on Sunday, I'm really sorry. But it becomes very plain to me as I read through the New Testament in these passages that there are a myriad, many spiritual gifts that operate in the church of the living God. And for those that, that, that are stuck on the nine that we commonly reference, I would encourage you to just finish reading 1 Corinthians 12. Because I... I would hazard a guess if you think that those are the only gifts that operate in the body of Christ, you've missed verses 27 and 28 in this very same chapter. Paul said, remember I said we're going back to 1 Corinthians 12. Here we are. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church. Here's another list of giftings. First, apostles. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, or we might say administration, diversities of tongues. So we don't even have to leave 1 Corinthians 12 before we're given yet another list with more spiritual gifts. And and if we were to take all these passages alone, and if we we removed all the repetition from them, uh, I just showed you, and we read over 19 different spiritual gifts in the scripture. But the point is this, the point is that it's not supposed to be limited to even these 19. You see, it's not nine, it's not 19, it's not 90, it's in many ways numberless. You know, I I could quote other verses that share other giftings in scripture. Things like the gift of hospitality, not mentioned already, 1 Peter 4 and 9, it's spoken of. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, he talks about how holy men of old, they were moved to write as the Holy Ghost moved upon them. So so even the ability to write your thoughts and put it on paper, or in their case, parchment, that's a spiritual gift in some capacity. And you can look this up yourself, but Paul even suggests that the ability to remain single is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, look it up. Singleness. Specifically celibacy, it's a gift, a spiritual gift, Paul said. Again, on your own time. The point is this. The spiritual gifts listed in Scripture, in the New Testament in particular, they are not exhaustive. They are examples. Everyone say examples. And they're powerful. I'm not diminishing them, but, but I'm just trying to paint this picture that we shouldn't lock ourselves in this, into this small little niche and if we don't fit in that box, then we feel somewhat useless. I'm just trying to shatter that paradigm a little bit tonight. All of this, it means that none of us should try to hide behind excuses and pretend that we don't got it, that, that, that we don't possess a, a gift. Because everybody has something to bring to the table. And, and everyone, under the sound of my voice, can I tell you, you are gifted by God in some way. And our job as as children of the Most High God is to prayerfully discover what our gifts and our talents are, what God has put within us, what our passions are, and how we can use them to benefit others, all for the glory of God. And so let me just kind of wrap up 1 Corinthians 12 here. Uh, Just a few more thoughts from Paul on, on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 29 and 30. Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? And just a small rabbit trail here. He's not talking about the evidence of tongues. He's talking about the specific gift, the diverse kinds of tongues. And and that's obvious because here again he couples it with the interpretation. Do all interpret? So so Paul is saying, is everybody going to have every gift? And and more specifically, Paul here is actually listing very public and very visible gifts. You read that list, they're all public offices. They're all public uh, demonstrative gifts. And he rhetorically asks if everyone will be gifted like that. Will everybody have a public and visible gift? And of course, the answer is no. No, not everybody will have a public visible gift in the body of Christ, but that's okay. Verse 22, we're all over chapter 12 here tonight. Paul said, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and the ones that seem least important, they're actually the most necessary. And so, is everybody going to have a public visible gift? The answer is no, but that's a good thing. It's great. Paul said sometimes what seem weakest and seem least important are actually the most necessary. And I know that we tend to notice and give honor to the more visible gifts in the body. I think that's why people, they like to focus on on the nine gifts of the Spirit in particular. But often it is the unseen gifts And it is the unsung saints that push the kingdom forward that are the most necessary in the church of the living God. It's the hidden gifts. It's it's the gifts beneath the surface. It's the organs under the skin, the heart that keeps beating even though you can't see it. And the lungs that keep filling and and deflating with oxygen even though you can't see it. it. It keeps the body alive. Nobody would argue that your heart or your lungs or your brain or your, or your muscular system or your circulatory system, nobody would argue that those are not important because you cannot see them. And so too it is with giftings in the body of Christ. It's okay if you are unseen and unsung doing your work for God in your way the way that he has gifted you to do it. It's wonderful, actually. So in light of all of this, here is Paul's final admonition in this chapter. Verse 31, he said, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Well, well, what are the best gifts? Is it the nine at the beginning or, you know, in light of what he just said, you know, is everybody going to have a public ministry, a public gift? a visible gift. In light of that, I don't think he's saying that the best ones are the ones that everybody else can see and the ones that everybody else celebrates. And in fact, again, the King James maybe eludes us a bit, but but the New Living renders it this way. Paul said, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. The most helpful gifts. I just want to help. God, I I don't know what maybe you have for me. I don't know what you've put down deep inside of me. I want to discover it. But ultimately, my heart's cry is that whatever I can do to help push the kingdom of God forward, if it's public, if it's private, if people see it, if people don't, it really doesn't matter. The, The desire that we must have is to be helpful. Helpful. Our greatest desire ought to be to discover that gifting that God planted within us that is most helpful to the kingdom of God and to others. Perhaps unseen by most, likely it will go unsung by others, but that is the responsibility of every believer. Earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Now, I just want to focus in for the last few minutes. That was my introduction. But take a deep breath. I'm not going to be too long. Verse 28, let me hone in on this for just a moment. This is the second list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just just notice one word in this verse with me. And God hath set in the church, and then he lists these gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, and then miracles, the gifts of healings, and then helps. Everyone say helps. Helps, and then governments or administration, and then diversities of tongues. Paul actually says... Right here in this verse, in the chapter on spiritual giftings, he says that helps is a spiritual gift. And, and that is my subject tonight, the gift of helps. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them my title, the gift of helps. I'm getting you to talk a lot tonight, just, it helps me. little engagement. Now, Now, this is the only time that this gift of helps is mentioned in the New Testament. There is here or anywhere else, there's no additional commentary given by Paul on what this gift consists of. But if we look at the original Greek word there for helps, it means to relieve, it means to simply participate in. And my favorite, I think, the gift of helps, that word, it means to support. That's what the gift of helps is. It is somebody who relieves. It is somebody who participates. And it is somebody who supports. A person who operates in the gift of helps is someone who doesn't sit idly by on the sidelines. But they actively participate in the work of the kingdom. And they offer relief to their brother or sister, somebody else, by shouldering the load. And they naturally gravitate toward support roles the gift of helps is often unseen unnoticed and unsung but it is no less important than any other giftings that we have discussed already tonight and again that's what i'm trying to to just maybe mess with our thinking a little bit and shatter a paradigm to think that that there are some gifts that are super important and then others that well you know not so much this 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 gift of helps is is just listed two gifts in front of diversities of tongues. You know, tongues and interpretation. We celebrate that. It's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. But here we have this one as well. Verse 28, the gift of helps. Just because another gift is more visible in the public eye, it does not make it more significant. And more importantly, it does not make it more spiritual than another one. In fact, it is often someone in the shadows of obscurity participating in the support roles, in the invisible roles that allow the more public giftings to operate as needed in the body of Christ. The gift of helps, it is no less supernaturally empowered than prophecy, no less supernaturally empowered than gifts of healing, no less supernaturally empowered than discerning of spirits or any other gift that we could focus on. It may be less visible, and it may not be in the limelight, but it is the same God that worketh all in all. The same God that empowers somebody to work miracles is the same God, the same spirit, Paul said, that empowers somebody that that operates in a support role in the gift of helps. It's the same God. It's the same God. Did Paul say it in the same chapter? It's the same God that worketh all in all. And we need believers that are stepping into their God-given, behind-the-scenes giftings. Or whatever the gifting might be. If it's behind the scenes, step into it, lean into it, and don't be ashamed. Don't feel less than. Don't be among them that compare themselves among themselves. That is not wise. Just be who God has called you to be. And be comfortable in your own skin. And just walk in what God says. That's what we need. Without everyone working together. Without the body coalescing. And without individuals and individual parts finding their place in the body. We don't move forward like God intends. And so let's dispense the lie tonight. That the seemingly insignificant giftings in the kingdom of God. Are less spiritual or powerful. Helps helps is just as much a gift of the Spirit. Now to illustrate the importance of this gift, I want to take you to an Old Testament example. I want to take you to a New Testament example, and then uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Now many of us would be familiar with the ministry of Moses in the Old Testament. By a show of hands, you know Moses? Yeah, just checking. Moses was the man who was supernaturally gifted by God to lead God's people, the Israelites, right? He led them out of Egypt and he led them in their wilderness wanderings and, and he led them right up until they went into the promised land. And there's no doubt that, that Moses was the main man. You know, he was the tip of the spear. His ministry among the people was both visible and powerful And whenever somebody tried to rise up against Moses, God just had this way of moving them out of the way and opening the ground and swallowing them up whole. Moses was the man. Moses was God's man. Moses was supernaturally empowered to be the leader of God's people. And it was Moses whom God spoke to and brought direction through. And in particular, in Exodus 19, God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai. And there he begins giving specific instructions and laws for the people to Moses. God said, Moses, here's my law. Here are my commandments. Here's the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, the moral law. And here's a few others. And by a few, I mean several hundred. Here's instructions on how to construct the tabernacle. And here's all the specifications. Here's all of it. It starts in chapter 19, but, but it's, a, it's not a, a short number of chapters there's actually 13 chapters that that we have in our Bibles today Moses would have come down and wrote all the stuff I'm sure it had to be God I mean to remember like 13 chapters worth of stuff just off the top of your head that was God but but in in the book of Exodus these 13 long chapters they consist of the various Jewish laws and how the people were to conduct themselves But it wasn't just about their behavior. It was also these specific details of how to build the tabernacle and how to engage in proper worship. And seven of the 13 chapters document how the tabernacle and all of its various articles of furniture were to be built down to the smallest of details, down to to inches, and down to the specific materials. I mean, there was nothing left to chance. To say the least, there was a lot of work to be done. A lot of work to be done. And I'm sure that that Moses, as he is on the mountain, and he's hearing from God, he's sweating. He's thinking, God, how in the world? How in the world am I going to help to encourage conduct? and, And how in the world am I going to be able to build this? How am I going to be able to lead this in this way? I'm sure he was sweating a little bit. Probably feeling a bit overwhelmed thinking, how am I going to get the job done? But it wasn't only Moses that God had his hand upon. It wasn't only Moses that God was empowering to lead the people, but God was also empowering somebody else and others beyond that to come alongside Moses and help him to flesh out the vision. And so while still up on Sinai, he's still getting all of this this from God on the mountain. And God, he actually names and singles out a man named Bezalel. Exodus 31, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I filled him with the Spirit of God. Not in the same way in the New Testament dispensation of grace, but but God was saying, my spirit is upon this man, the same God that worketh all in all. Bezalel had a touch of God on his life. He had wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. God had, had anointed and appointed this man to devise cunning works and to work in gold and silver and brass and in the cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And here's the point. In order for the vision that Moses had received to be fleshed out, in order for everything that God said on the mountain to be fulfilled, God put his hand, yes, on Moses, but also on this man named Bezalel. And he would be the one responsible for single-handedly building some of the structure and most of the furniture in the tabernacle. Bezalel was not Moses. Bezalel wasn't the leader. He wasn't the one who would get up in front of the people and likely to, to try to inspire engagement. That wasn't his role. He was a craftsman. He loved working with his hands. And it's because of him in large part that the house of God, the tabernacle in the wilderness took shape. Bezalel was the one who personally built that brazen altar. He personally built the brazen laver, the altar of incense, the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and even the ark of the covenant built by one man, all by himself, and he did it all according to what the Lord had spoken moses you see god gave moses the vision but then god gave moses bezalel to flesh out the vision somebody that was willing to work with their hands and just help to accomplish what god had spoken to the leader i'm thankful that moses got that word from the lord on the mountain that day or those days I'm thankful that Moses came down from the mountain with marching orders, but I'm also grateful that there was somebody supernaturally gifted in the conglomerate to flesh out what God had said. It wasn't all going to rise and fall at the feet of Moses, but but God said, there's somebody in the congregation of Israel that my hand is upon and that my spirit is upon, and Moses, they're going to come alongside, and they may not be visible to everybody else, but they're going to flesh out what I've spoken to you. And it was because of Bezalel, this man, that people could bring their sacrifices and offer them on the altar. He built it. It was because of Bezalel that the high priest could fulfill his duties in the tabernacle and the blood of the sacrifice. It was sprinkled on that mercy seat in the Holy of Holies because Bezalel was happy to participate in this support role. That was Bezalel. He was not necessarily the one in public view. He probably worked many days alone in obscurity and in some ways... I feel that this man, Bezalel, embodies what I'm talking about tonight. He was a behind-the-scenes helper. Yes, probably not as visible, but he was no less important, and most importantly, no less empowered by God. God said, my spirit is upon this man. I've empowered him for this task and this moment. Now, Bezalel, his name, it means in the shadow of God. Bezalel means in the shadow of God, in the shadows. It, he, he was unseen, perhaps unsung, but no less important in seeing the house of God be built. Amen? I turn your attention to one final story in the New Testament now. In music, you can join me. Specifically, we turn our attention to the book of Acts, And we see a mighty move of God in the first few chapters. For the first five years of the church, we we see explosive growth by any standard. 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the Bible says. 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost. 5,000 men in Acts chapter 4. And then we stop getting numbers and we just get generalities. There's multitudes of men and women in Acts chapter 5. And up to now, this is only in Jerusalem. So the church is doing all right. The church is growing. The church is firing on all cylinders. But as the church grows, it it starts to experience growing pains, as is usual to happen. Growing pains as the needs of various people in the congregation, they start to... uh, they start to arise, and it becomes difficult for the church leaders to manage all of this. And you, you perhaps know the story. It kind of all comes to a boiling point in Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring, complaining of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And so the 12, they called the multitude of disciples unto them, and they said, it is not reason. All of this, these growing pains and these murmurings, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables and make sure that everybody's getting fed. It's important, but, but we can't do this, guys. So, so here's our solution. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, because we need the Spirit of God to empower us as we function and operate in the body of Christ. So, so let them be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this idea, the saying, it pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose seven men. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set these guys before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So as the church grew in those days, the needs of the church grew also. The needs of the community grew also. And it became impossible for the apostles to manage. And I imagine that they started to sweat a little bit, you know. Like Moses, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to manage all of this? I'm sure the apostles are thinking, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of stones going unturned in this season. It was just too much. They couldn't minister to every need. Also, while maintaining a strong connection to God and His Word so that they could bring direction to the church. And so they said, it's not reason. It's not fitting for us that we should leave God's Word and serve tables. Tables find somebody else is what they said find somebody honest and wise and full of the holy ghost and that was all for the purpose verse four so that they could give themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word and i will pause here to say that that right there is the job description of our spiritual leaders that is the job description of our pastor our pastoral team that that he and they might give themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word and if we truly desire to have an apostolic church and we got to do what they did in the first century and our job is to do anything that we possibly can to make that a reality for leadership pastor can I help with anything today how can I serve today I serve. I told you we're in some of the same threads from Sunday. But I want to be able to help and facilitate that. I want to be able to do whatever I can to be supportive and to see the kingdom of God advance. Spiritual leaders in the church must make the ministry of the word and prayer a priority. And it's not that they are too good to serve tables. That's important. And that's the misconception that serving tables isn't important and prayer and the ministry of the word is important. And that's not true. They're both important. Because they're different functions and different operations in the church and in the body of Christ. It's not that they were too good. They recognized the importance of it. But they also recognized that it would be a distraction from their priority. And so they appointed somebody else. Seven other men. You know what the apostles needed? I think they needed someone with the gift of helps, honestly. Somebody that would just say, let me help wherever and however I can. You need me to serve tables. You need me to make sure that the widows are getting food. That's fine. I'll do it. No problem. No problem. And God empowered and picked these seven men for that task. And here's what's amazing. These seem like menial tasks, but As I said they're important and we thank God for these seven men who are willing to support their leaders and take some stuff off their plate and and what happens next is what's fascinating to me because one of the seven Stephen his life becomes the catalyst for the next phase of revival in the church in Acts chapter 7 he's not an apostle he's a waiter he's a servant he's operating in the ministry of helps but God uses his life as a seed that sparks revival one of the others philip he ends up being on the first the first to cross the cultural barrier and to preach the samaritans in acts chapter 8 and revival breaks out as a result that wasn't philip the apostle that was philip the servant from acts chapter 6 These individuals, they they were not less important and they were not less anointed and appointed and spirit-filled than the, the apostles. They were not less important than the leadership. They were a part of the same body and they were all working together in tandem to see progress made. This is simply a matter of priorities and a matter of differences in giftings. We all bring something to the table. And the apostles, they were getting overwhelmed with jobs that that others could do just as well. It was Dwight Moody who taught that it was better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. That's what they did. And and here is the result of that kind of work. We already read it, but Acts chapter 6, verse 7. This is the result when, when these men lent a hand and started helping their leadership. The word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. They had already had revival. They had greater revival as a result of more people getting on board and getting involved. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What I'm preaching tonight and what I am sharing is that everybody in the body of Christ, we are all members in particular, meaning we all bring something to the table. And the question for all of us is, what is my gifting? Where do I fit? How do I contribute? If it's public, lean in, baby. Go for it. If God has anointed you to do it, do it with everything you've got. Do it as unto the Lord. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. But if it's invisible, if it's under the surface, you're not a less than. You're not less important. God has empowered and anointed and appointed you as well. Stand together with me if you would. The image comes to mind and Pastor touched on this Sunday morning. So I won't bear down the story, but to me when I think of the ministry of helps and the meaning of the word helps, how it is a support gifting. It means to support. My mind went to the battle of Israel and Amalek, Moses holding up his hands and when his hands drooped the battle went sour when his hands were held up the battle went well and and I think of Aaron and her kind of embody that as well and typify this this ministry, this gift of helps They, they supported the man of God they held up his hands so that progress could be made on the battlefield and I would say that we all can do something to contribute like that. Everyone say, I want to find my place. I want to find my place in the body of Christ, in the church of the living God, because what we need more than anything is we need progress. We need to move forward, pastor, but it only happens when we all work together and we don't feel like we're less important and we lean in and we step in where God has gifted us and called us and appointed us to be. And so I wonder if you'd raise your hands now. We're going to pray over over everybody in this service. If you're joining us online, why don't you just pray with us for a moment. Come on, because God has a purpose, a plan, and a gifting for every child of God. Come on, you have something to contribute. You have something that God has put within you. God has planted something in your life. God has given you giftings and talents and abilities and the the last thing we need is for people to sit on their talents and think that they're unimportant. God, speak clearly, I pray. Quicken it in somebody's mind, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would put a, a fresh burden, a fresh passion in our spirit tonight. Lord, to lean in and to contribute and to help. Lord, tonight our earnest desire is that we would covet and and go after the most helpful gifts in whatever moment, in whatever season, however I can lean in, however I can contribute, God, use me in that way. That's our prayer today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, right now, I pray that your spirit, Lord, that same spirit of God that empowers all of us to function in whatever place we have in the body of Christ, that same spirit of God to work with all, Lord, I pray that it would quicken in every spirit tonight. Empower. God, lead us. Use us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just one more time, if you would just lift your voices and lift your hands. I just believe that the Lord would would desire to speak very clearly to somebody tonight. In the name of Jesus. in the name of Jesus 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 in the name of of the Lord amen why don't we clap our hands to the Lord and just give Him a shout of praise amen God is good look at your neighbor and say you're gifted of God You're gifted. God has put something on you and in you. Let's not squander it. Let's utilize it for the benefit of others, all for the glory of God. Has not it been good to be in the presence of the Lord with one another tonight?